0: Well, can you believe Christmas is five days away? How many of you feel totally ready for that? There's not a hand up in the place? Shannon's ready. Jerry, Jerry's ready. Faye, did you hear that? Jerry's ready. Yeah, yeah. Gifts, gifts are wrapped under the tree. That's awesome. Here we are on the fourth Sunday of Advent, the season. The season of preparation, the season that we've explored the last number of weeks that is designed to get us ready for Christmas, to celebrate the birth of the Savior Jesus, the Prince of Peace. You know, Remember, Advent is all about waiting, the longing, the expectation, looking forward. And we celebrate at Christmas, of course, the first coming of Jesus on that starry night long ago. But we celebrate in kind of a weird position, right? Because we celebrate as people who have to kind of imagine ourselves back so that we can kind of turn around and then look forward, right? It's kind of what we do through Advent. We kind of try to get ourselves in the headspace of what it would have been like for the people who were waiting for a Savior, waiting for a Deliverer, or just waiting more generally for something better to happen. Something to, you know, change the way things work. So we kind of imagine ourselves backwards so that we can kind of turn around and, and then anticipate again this first coming of Jesus, trying to position ourselves so that we can eagerly expect, we can long for the coming of the promised Deliverer who's come to this world that's racked by sin and racked by hurt and brokenness and conflict. But the question we have this morning is, are we only looking back or getting ourselves back there so that we can look forward to the first coming of Jesus or are we waiting for something more? The truth is, here in 2015, we actually stand in the middle of a much longer story. We stand in the middle, somewhere somewhere in between the first coming of Jesus as a baby born to Mary and the final coming of Jesus as the Prince of Peace who will come and, as he said, make everything new. And though we celebrate this first coming of Jesus, and we we do, and we should, we also have to ask ourselves, what are we still waiting for? What are we eagerly expecting? What are we looking forward to? And that's our question for today. What are we waiting for? This season, we've been viewing the Advent, or walking through the Advent, in combination with the revelation of Jesus Christ, which as we've pointed out before, is just weird. And and I know that many of you thought, this is a bad idea, Tom. We should just stop the series on Revelation, do the Christmas thing, and then get back to Revelation. I know, because I've talked to some of you. But, <laughs> against perhaps greater wisdom, we've decided to go through Advent and look in particular at the, the, this throne room vision. And to see Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, and that's and that's what we've been doing um, as we've been journeying as a as a whole community through the Revelation. And so what we did the last few weeks is we looked at the traditional themes of hope, of love, of joy, and this morning uh peace through the lens of Revelation. On the first Sunday of Advent, we we celebrated the hope we have because even though the world is messed up and even though there's a lot of evil and suffering, even though our own lives are deeply troubled and we often have conflict and we wrestle with health concerns and relational concerns and we're, we're, we're worried about what's happening and we wonder about the future, what we saw in Revelation chapter 4 is this beautiful uh, vision that there's a throne in heaven and there's someone sitting on it, right? And we took... A hope from that, of recognizing that though there's a lot of stuff that can be going wrong in the world and in our lives, there is a God, and He's on the throne. And that gives us great hope. And so that's what we looked at the first Sunday of Advent. The second Sunday of Advent, we saw how the love of God, of course, pictured in Jesus, and we were celebrating that at Christmas, but in the Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, it's, it's pictured surprisingly, shockingly, as Jesus is pictured as a slain lamb who was slaughtered and sacrificed so that men and women and children from every tribe and tongue and nation and location could be purchased back for God. Almost like Jesus' Christmas gift to His Father was all of you. Have you ever thought of that? You are an awesome Christmas gift for the Father. That Jesus, through His Being slain bought you back. That's the language used, of course, redeeming from slavery. But bought you back for his father. That's the love. And that's why Jesus was born. That God loved the world so much, he sent Jesus to become our freedom maker. Well, last week on Advent uh, Sunday number three, and of course it was mainly the children's program, but for a few moments we looked at how because of this good surprise, this, this shocking uh, re- realization that even though it looked like everything was hopeless, even though it looked like everything was lost, there's this surprise good ending. And because of that surprise good ending of Jesus coming, of taking our place, of offering us freedom and taking away our slavery, we can live in joyful response. The theme of joy was the third Sunday of Advent. We can live in joyful response to God and worship Him. Well, here on the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, we're going to explore the theme of peace. The prophets talked about the coming of the Prince of Peace, and the angels, of course, we know, proclaimed peace on earth, right? On the night that Jesus was born. I need a drink, sorry. Peace on earth, they said. And yet, we know that we are still waiting for peace. I mean, look around, right? You don't have to even, I mean, you don't have to hardly glance at a newspaper or the news feed on Facebook or, or, or online. You don't even have to talk to a neighbor for very long or a friend or a family to recognize that we are still waiting for peace. Not just that all the conflict would die down, but a true lasting peace that where there's healing and there's wholeness and things are right again. We're looking really for what I've called Advent 2.0, the next upgrade, where the full peace of God will reign over the whole earth, where peace will not simply be a dream or a wish or, you know, I'd like, you know, I'd like to see world peace happen, you know, some unachievable goal, but rather the peace of God overall, would be the reality of our existence. And so, here we are, looking at peace. Now, in our journey through the Revelation, we're actually at a critical moment in the vision where everything's going to change. The slain lamb, Jesus Christ, has taken, this is the action that most recently happened in Revelation 5, he's taken the scroll from his father, and that scroll represents God's plan to make everything new. God's plan to bring creation, bring his people, bring everything back to the way he intended it. And all of heaven and earth worships the Lamb with joy because Jesus is the only one worthy in all of creation, all in heaven, under heaven, in the earth, in the sea, everywhere, the only one worthy to make his Father's plan a reality. Now, following chapter 5, the Lamb will begin to break the seals. And we're going to see how this all unfolds as we continue our journey in the Revelation in the middle of January. And it's exciting stuff. And it's going to provide us amazing perspective on our own lives and struggles and, and, and what's going on. But today I want to do something a little bit different. I actually want to, I, I want to ruin the mystery for you. I want to jump right to the end of the story. Now, how many of you hate that? How many of you are just like avoiding your Twitter feed or Facebook over these next couple days because you're scared that some idiot out there is going to ruin the new Star Wars movie. (laughs) I know, some of you. You're like shielding your eyes because you're afraid that somebody's going to tell you who the villain was. I'm not because I haven't seen it yet and if you dare spoil it for me, (laughs) there will not be peace between us. (laughs) Don't you hate it when people jump to the end of the story? But in this case, it's different. Because there's something about knowing the end of the story, knowing the happily ever after of Revelation, or really of the whole of Scripture, that gives us perspective on where we're at today, on what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our world. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump ahead, and we're going to let this vision of God's peace, of where everything's going, then affect the way that we live and dream and act today. So what are we waiting for? At the very end of Revelation, the last couple chapters, we're given a beautiful collage of images. It's rich in symbolism, mostly symbolism drawn from the Old Testament, um, some from the surrounding culture, but it evokes in us a desire, and it's meant to evoke in us, and every reader of the Revelation, a desire for the final advent of Jesus, Advent 2.0. And there's many different ways that this final scene encourages us, but I just want to draw out seven pictures of peace. Yeah, I know. I went for seven. I couldn't go for six or eight. This is Revelation we're dealing with, right? So I went for seven. And you're thinking, oh no, this is going to be a very long sermon. <clears throat> I'll try to move fast. <laughs> seven pictures of peace of the world after the final advent that will help us, I believe, be followers of the Prince of Peace today. So in your bulletins, I did something a little different today. I, I actually created a sheet with blanks on it. Yes for you to fill in. It's like notes, and you can you take this home and post it, and or whatever you'd like to do with it. But fill in the blanks as we go through these seven pictures of peace. If you have a Bible, I didn't print it today because it was too much to print, but if you have a Bible or a phone or there's Bibles in the front, go ahead and look. Follow along if you'd like. Revelation 21 and the first part of 22. Here's the first thing we're waiting for. You ready? First thing we're waiting for is a new world Empty of evil. Revelation 21, 1. There's been a big change. Here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, this, this is following hard on the final end of Satan and the destruction of death itself. And John's vision shifts to this whole new world. Now, the prophets of old, particularly Isaiah, had pointed toward a day when there would be uh, the heavens and the earth would be made new. And it, as it's fleshed out in the whole Bible, we see a recreated heavens and an earth emerge. It's not as though God just sort of scraps up, you know, and throws away earth and starts completely over again. But rather, kind of like the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of our bodies, God recreates his earth and his heaven into something that's fresh and new and glorious. And what's more, John points out something interesting to us. He says, there's no longer any sea. Now, some of you are disappointed at this point because you had this image in your mind of, the lapping waves and the beauty of the sea. But remember what we talked about before. We've, we've alluded to this before, that the sea is used as an image of where chaos and evil, the source of chaos and evil and destruction and all evil things came, in this worldview, from the sea. And so what we hear here in, in, in this opening verse is that this is a world where the whole source of evil is gone. Let that, sink in. Let that sink in for a moment. I mean, right there. Isn't that something worth looking forward to? Think about what no see or no source of evil really means. That all the sources of evil and injustice is, are gone. I mean, all of the, the pride, uh, uh, the, the greed, the, the lust, all the things that, that generate so much hurt and so much pain and so much just awfulness in our lives in the world around us, that that source has been removed from us. Things that cause domestic violence, things that cause nations to go to war, the reason why kids are hungry, the reason why people are neglected, all of those things have been dealt with, finally. They've been eliminated. Everything that has caused hurt and pain and brokenness is quite simply gone. Isn't that a beautiful opening image? I mean, just right at the very start, isn't that something worth looking forward to? Well, let's, let's keep going. That's the first thing. But, but more comes. Look what comes next. In verse 2 and 3, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The second thing we're waiting for is when heaven finally comes home when heaven finally comes home. This picture of heaven coming to earth as the new Jerusalem, of of God coming to live with us, is actually the central story to the whole Bible, the, the whole of history. You could summarize the story of history as this. God wanted to live among his people, people that he created in his image. And he did whatever it took to make his dream a reality. God wanted to live among us. And yes, there was lots of roadblocks and obstacles and sin got in the way. And there was difficulties. And he ended up having to send his own son to make it right. But God did whatever it took to bring his dream to reality so that he could live among us. And here at the end of Revelation, we see God's dream finally come true. For a long time now, I've read this part, and I feel like it should be accompanied by an audio track of God giving this huge sigh. Of satisfaction, of contented relief, that finally, after all the pain, after all these years, after all the waiting, finally, finally, I am now home. That's the image I get of this beautiful uh, reality that God has come to live. This is what, have you ever thought about that? This is what God has been looking forward to. Doesn't that blow your mind? It blows mine. This is what God has been looking forward to. And it points us to something hugely important. That As Christians, we don't look forward to a time when we all go off somewhere in some heaven far away to be with God. Yes, when we die, we go to be with God. And we're in heaven, so to speak, because wherever God is, that's heaven. But that's not the final act. That's more like a, a waiting period until resurrection. Here is where it all finally leads to a time when heaven descends to earth. What's the final hope, Christians? You've heard me say it before. I even rewrote I'll fly away to try to make this point. You know that. Because our hope, is, our final hope as Christians is not that we all fly away somewhere or that we all simply go to heaven when we die. That, that doesn't go far enough. The final hope of Christians is actually joining God as he comes when heaven finally comes home and God is finally living among his people as he always intended to live. Now that's hope whew, That's crazy. That's just two points. We could go home right now and it literally could change our lives. But of course, there's five more. Let's keep going. All right. Third, we're waiting for a world where suffering is gone. A world where suffering is gone. Listen listen to this. God is now living among us and this is what he does. It says, God, he, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. (laughs) He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am looking forward to this. Aren't you? I mean... God's peace becoming true reality. A world that has been freed from suffering and death. This image of God wiping away the tears that there's no more crying, no more mourning, no more death. I mean, how many of you today, how many of you during this Christmas season need to hear that? That we look forward to a time when God will literally reach over and wipe the tears from your eyes. That he sees the suffering in the world. He sees the struggle in your life. He sees the conflict that's been raging in your home, in your heart. That we look forward to the time when God himself will be with us. And there will be no more suffering. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more death. Wow! This is life transforming. Because you know the ache. You know the pain. You know how heart-wrenching this world can be. But God himself, who brings comfort to us now for sure, also points us toward a day when that will simply all be behind us because, as it says, the old order, meaning the time when people died, the time when there was suffering, the time when there really was the only appropriate thing to do was cry. All that, that'll all be behind us. That gives me incredible hope. But then it goes on. It's connected to this fourth picture of peace that we receive. Not only is evil banished, uh, not only is suffering gone, but justice has come. Listen to this. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But... The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, and I know some of you are shuddering right now. But let's dig into this. Because the fourth thing we're waiting for is a just world. Christians have prayed for centuries, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here we see that that prayer has been fulfilled, that there is justice. Evil, evil has not been left unanswered. That all the years, that all the tyrants, all the wrongs that have been done, all the violence that has been perpetrated against innocent people, all of it has been answered by God himself. As well as all the good, the righteousness, the faithfulness, God has seen it. Even though there's been times when people have been faithful and it hasn't shown there have been good people that have suffered and died and you think, what? That's the reward they got? That person over there was faithful for years and years and years and yet no one ever noticed. Their husband never changed. That person over there was faithful to Jesus all their life and yet look, they died poor, broke, unnoticed. Unnoticed. That person over there has been wronged again and again and again, and they never, ever achieved justice. They never received it. Think of all the people in the world who have died never seeing justice done for them. And you and I both know that we want justice. We want to see a world that's just. And I know this sounds awfully harsh, this image of a fiery lake and burning sulfur. I get all that. But when you hear for what it truly is, it changes things. This is a world in which justice has been done. I mean, can you imagine any kind of peace, any kind of true and lasting peace in a world where justice wasn't done? Where the evil that was perpetrated was just sort of shrugged off? Can you imagine a good world A world of health and wholeness where men have abused women without recourse, where Satan is worshipped and and obeyed without any consequence, where truth has been spurned and murder has just been ignored? Can you imagine a world that's good where that's been done? No, you can't. Neither can I. A world without justice is horrible. It's a world without peace. This picture of peace tells us something important, that the world after Jesus comes will be a world in which justice will be a lived reality. Not that we'll need justice after that, but rather that evil will have been finally answered and judged as evil by God himself. And that those who have been faithful will have been rewarded for their faithfulness and included in the family of God, all based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are looking forward to a just world. The fifth reality that we're looking forward to is a life of perfect communion with God. The next passage, if it's quite long, I'm not going to read it all, pictures a marriage made in heaven. And it describes, is all designed really to describe a people, the people of God, who are in perfect union with God and the Lamb. I'll read some of it. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, we're going to hear about them later, uh, came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride. The wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We already heard about that. It, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And then John goes on to actually to des- describe a whole bunch of the perfections about the city using numbers and symbols to show basically how amazing the people of God in union with God will be. And then the last few uh, verses of chapter 21, he goes on, he says, describing this city, I did not see a temple in the city, which is unheard of. Uh, cities in that day were just filled with temples. This, this grand city didn't have a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city did not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. (laughs) The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Through this expansive image of the new Jerusalem, the wife of the Lamb, the people of God, and yes, using lots of symbolism, we're directed really toward one defining reality, that God's people, God's multi-ethnic, multilingual, diverse people, live now in perfect, unceasing connection with God. Everything from the symbolic size that's given, to the image of the gates, from the lack of need for the sun, to the fact that there's no temple at all, Everything points to this one thing, that we will live in perfect communion with God. Perfect love, perfect purpose. A life where we're no longer wondering where God is. We're no longer struggling and trying to figure out how to connect and what's going on and what's going on in me and I'm not sure. We're not trying to know or grasp or doubt. All of that has been gone. It's a picture of perfect peace where all is good, all is right. As we live in this perfect communion with God. That's what we're waiting for. You begin to get a picture? There's two more to go. What's the sixth thing? When creation flourishes fu- fully restored. When creation flourishes fully restored. Listen to this. Uh, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Now in this little snippet, we're taken all the way back to the start of the story. All the way back to the early days in the Garden of Eden where the first human couple rejected God's desire to live with them. Rejected God's desire by making themselves the judge of what is good and what is evil. And because of their rebellion and their mistrust, sin broke the world. It broke their relationship with God, broke God's creation. It broke their relationship with each other. And the man and the woman were banished from the Garden of Eden. Why? So that they couldn't eat from the tree of life and remain forever in their fallen, rebellious state. But now, at the end of the story, it's come full circle. Look, in the picture at the end, there's the tree of life. And it's continually bearing fruit that brings wholeness and healing to all the nations of the world. And what's more, the curse has been dealt with. The the fall in the garden has now been remedied in another garden. The curse has been lifted. The story that started in a garden now ends in a city that looks an awful lot like a garden inside of it. And the tree of life is flourishing with access for all. It points us to a time when creation has been fully restored, where the curse that has ravaged people, that has ravaged the planet, has finally been overturned. It no longer has power. It no longer dictates the confused way that we'll often relate to one another. It no longer shatters the way that we, the the way that we think and the way that we feel about the nations of the world or the people in our own home, that the curse is gone that we no longer struggle to figure out how to make this earth grow or how to take care of it, that somehow this curse has been lifted through what Jesus has done. And it's now flourishing, fully restored. Well, I'm banking on that one. How about you? That's awesome stuff. Well, there's one more. The seventh reality waiting for us is, if I can put it this way, I had to. It's our happily ever after. You know, all those fairy stories were right. All those fairy tales were right. Somehow deep within us, we knew there had to be a happily ever after. We never experienced it, but we knew there had to be. And here it is. Listen to how this vision ends. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They'll see His face and His name will be on their foreheads which signals the belonging and being part of God. There'll be no more night. Hmm. They will not need the lamp of the light or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they, listen to this, and they will reign forever and ever. If that isn't a happily ever after, I don't know what is. No more night? seeing God's face, the very thing that no one was able to see all the way through the story, right? God was always somehow shielded and now they just look at God. There's nothing between them. His name on their forehead signaling that they truly belong where they are and they're reigning forever and ever. This is where the whole story is going. This is the goal of creation. This is what God set up. This is what he's been pursuing down through the ages. It's it's, it's why he called the people to himself. It's, It's what he was doing in Abraham, what he was hoping for, trying and finally sending Jesus to make this happen. This was the goal. This is what Jesus came on Christmas for. This was part of the plan because God knew that in order to accomplish his dream of you and I, living in perfect communion of you and I having our happily ever after, if God was going to bring that about, he had to send his son to make things right because we were in too much trouble to do it ourselves. We couldn't. So Jesus came on Christmas to accomplish the thing that God had been longing to accomplish. He sacrificed himself for that, you know. He was the slain lamb for that so that you and I could reign forever and ever. It's it's amazing. Don't be thrown by these various images. I know some of you, we've talked, I've talked to others, you think, that sounds boring. Right? Great. Hanging around, staring at God, twiddling my fingers. And didn't they mention something about a harp earlier? It's like your worst nightmare come true, right? I know. That's what you're thinking. But that's not what's going on here. These are symbols designed to point us to something images that only hint of a life that's so expansive and so wonderful and so great it's just beyond our imagination i was listening to something by cs lewis the other day and he compared it in a way, in a sense to it's like we're we're looking over the lip of a great waterfall we can just barely see a little bit of where it's going and that's all and the little bit we can see is amazing But the promise beyond is so far beyond our imagination or experience that we can only trust because God is good. Because Jesus is great. And we can trust Him. That what's coming is so far beyond our imagination. Reigning forever and ever. This symbol of being with God and having authority and and, and living a life that continues to expand, continues to grow, continues to uh, be better and better as the story goes along. Well, there they are, seven pictures of peace that have been super inspiring for me as I think about what we are waiting for. They give us only little snapshots and they remind us as we stare at the end of the story that this is what the slain lamb came for. This is why he was the one who was worthy to un you know, take the scroll and begin to make it happen because He made it possible. That this is the destiny and the goal of all history. That this is what God is working for. And I think for for you and I, we need to take these images, we need to take this vision, we need to even take these seven things, and there's more if we'll dig into it. And we need to, at times, fix our eyes on that to remind us that that's where we're going. Even when things are rough now. Because that's the difference this makes for us, you know. The way that we're waiting for tomorrow, waiting for the future, really changes the way we live today. If we can begin to see God's plan, that that's the kind of world He's dreaming about. It's going to fundamentally alter the way that I dream, the way that I work, the way that I pray, the way that I serve the things that matter. They just change when this is the vision that fills us. Our happily ever after really affects how we live life today. Because we're not just waiting passively. When we say, what are we waiting for? We're not just waiting helpless and passive. We're actually waiting prayerfully. We're waiting obediently. We're waiting actively. As we see God's desire for a world that isn't in suffering anymore, we realize that God hates suffering. He hates it. He hates that people are being abused and ignored. God's heart breaks for the suffering of men and women and children. He, He hates that. And He calls us as His people to be healers in the world. That we can go into places that are broken, families that are broken, areas of the world that are broken. And we can, in Jesus' name, offer hope and healing and grace. Seeing God's heart in this vision, this, this image of, of, of God wiping tears from our eyes, I think gives us a greater capacity to be a people who are, in some way or another, wiping tears from others' eyes. That we're listening to the brokenhearted. That we're embracing those who have just been so shattered. You know, in this last week, I had an opportunity to connect with a lot of people who were just really shattered because of things that had happened in their lives. And there was a particular instance that I was reminded in such, with such force that there are people among us who walk through every day with such a deep level of brokenness and shame and hurt. And for them to know from us that we love them, that there's a God who loves them, that God wants to wipe tears from their eyes today, but... There will come a time when every tear will be gone. I think we need to be people like that. Knowing that God's dream is to live among us, that's what he's always been about, it orients us to what really matters in life. What really matters for you and I, each and every day, is that we get up in the morning and realize, this is a day where I get to walk with God. (laughs) That God has already, get this, it's kind of weird, God has already come to live among us, right? He came in Jesus, but He's already living among us by His Holy Spirit. That if you said yes to following Jesus, He's already living in you. And so we can walk each day already beginning to experience this dream that God has had to live among us. That we can walk with Him. Knowing that that might just be a taste of what's to come, but it's real. It's a real taste and it can transform our lives on a daily level that we walk with God. Each and every one of these pictures of what we're waiting for gives us a direction, gives us a purpose, a sense of what we should be about today. That if this is God's plan, if this is his dream, if that's how the end of this story ends, well, then I want to be about that now. I want to be about praying and living out your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and beginning to just live as though, guess what? That's a reality already. That what God has been dreaming about is beginning to happen. That what God wants to see occur in the end, we're going to begin to bring some of that into our relationships and into our world today. To be agents of healing and grace and justice and mercy in this broken and sinful world. Knowing that God has called us to be that kind of people and to look forward with hope to the time when the Prince of Peace will truly come. He will finish His glorious work of bringing all of His creation to life again. When He says, I am making everything new, we really know it's true. So we'll sing Joy to the World. In fact, we're going to do that now. Why doesn't the team come? We're going to sing Joy to the World. We're going to revel in the peace on earth that's been declared by the angels past, present, and future. And we're going to look through the tears of today, whether it's our own tears or it's the tears of others, to a time and a people and a world that is living happily ever after, forever and ever in perfect glory, in perfect love, and in perfect peace. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. And thank you for coming again. Amen.